Well, we continue this evening with our series on the Lord's Prayer. And um, will you please stand as we turn to this petition? In Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, the Lord's Prayer continues with this petition. Again, that's Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. Words which you know very well. Jesus includes in our Lord's Prayer, Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. This is the true word of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you know that the disciples of Jesus asked him to teach them how to pray. Because, Father, we want to be able to lift our prayers to you with nothing getting in the way. We want to pray to you genuinely for the things that are truly important. Thank you, Father, for your eagerness to hear us as a beloved father hearing his beloved children. Help us to consider each and every word in this prayer so, Father, we can pray it with genuineness, with honesty, and with transparency. Thank you, Father, for hearing us and showing us and teaching us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Before I start, I just want to just thank you for letting me stand here in the pulpit and talk about Jesus. You do know that if I'm here, I'm going to be talking about Jesus, right? So anyway, it's just been a real pleasure to come over again and three times, just pretty in pretty quick succession. So again, thank you. It's always a pleasure. Now we look at this petition as we continue to look at the Lord's Prayer, and this Petition begins with confession. Forgive us, we ask God. So right away, we're admitting to God that we are in need of forgiveness. We're admitting to Him, honestly, with that transparency, that we are sinners who have sinned. So what is confession? There are those folks who understand confession as a kind of checklist. Like it's a, nothing against accounting, but there's kind of like an accounting process. And to begin with, this was the way that Martin Luther thought. So, if this is right, then God first waits for us to confess our sins, Secondly, when we do come before God and confess our sins to Him, then God takes out His checklist, looks it over, and checks off just the sins, the particular sins that you have specifically confessed to Him. And then these particular sins are then forgiven. The ones that you did not confess are not checked off. So those are the ones that are not forgiven. 
The goal then would be to reduce the number of sins that you have to confess so that by the time life is over, finally there aren't any sins left unchecked on God's list. Which would be a bad thing if there's anything there. Just one little, in those thousands of pages, just one little box that's not checked would be disastrous because then you would not be forgiven. Is that the way it really works? Nobody's nodding. Okay. <laughs> the trouble is, what if you forget just one? What if the list keeps getting longer and longer and longer? What if the more time that you spend in Scripture, the more that you realize that your sins, all the new ones, outrun your confession? And you'll never be able to catch up, no matter how hard you try and try. Well, Luther read Scripture, and he finally realized what God was saying. I think he was saying basically this. Instead of the checklist, look to the Savior. Forgive us our trespasses. Remember in Scripture, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So, just admit it to God. Admit all of the sins that you think of and are troubling you, and admit that there are ones that you forgot about already. The Bible says, but if anyone does sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. What that verse tells me is that the answer to our dilemma is Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here the reference is the Passover. On Passover, you know, the lamb was taken and his blood was shed and the blood was painted around the frame of the door. Then everyone inside who was under the blood of the lamb would be safe when the destroyer passed over Egypt. But like that, on a Friday afternoon, on a hill just outside of Jerusalem, the Son of God was taken, and His innocent blood was shed on behalf of the guilty. And while He was there on the cross for everyone there to see, He proclaimed, it is finished. One word in the Greek, tetelestai, the word means it is completed. It is accomplished. All of our sins, past, present, and future, were paid for, and they are forgiven. It's done. Jesus was successful. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Paul wrote, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, 
We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have been justified. That's the big word. We have been made right with God. We have been set free from condemnation. It has been arranged for us that it's like we have never ever sinned, not even once. We have been restored to a right relationship with God. And that happened on a Friday afternoon on that hill just outside the walls of Jerusalem. That moment is past. We do not need for it to happen again. Forgiveness is accomplished for everyone who trusts Jesus. He is our crucified and risen Savior. The Lamb of God has taken away the sin of the world. So God has provided for the forgiveness of our sins by His grace, which is ours by faith in Christ. Sins are forgiven because of what Christ did on the cross and we trust Him. The question then comes to mind, why then do we need to confess? I don't mean sitting in a little tiny box talking to somebody through a window. If that helps, go ahead. I'm talking about being honest with God and admitting it to Him, being genuine. Confession is good for you. There's a reason that God requires it for you. Fearlessly and boldly examining your own words and your own actions and your own thoughts, which can be intimidating, but you can do it boldly and confidently. And you confess the reality that you have sinned. You try not to sin, and please keep trying not to, but you do. Confession is not an option. It is a necessary aspect of how you live day by day as a Christian. It's something you do to honor your Savior. So first, confession reminds you of who you are. It reminds you that we are all like sheep that go astray over and over again and who need a good shepherd. All of us, you and me, we are sinners in need of a Savior. If we would uh, somehow put ourselves on a kind of ladder of righteousness, and at the top would be if we never ever committed even one sin, and then down at the bottom then would be basically if you've ever sinned even once, where would you be? Who would be at the top? Actually, that's more important because that's Jesus Christ at the top all by himself. We're all down at the bottom, all equal at the foot of the cross. No one is good enough or holy enough to get himself or herself up to God. To be honest, we can't even make it to the first rung. All have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. But here's the wonderful part, really. Because at the very same time, it is also true 
that Jesus has placed himself down at the bottom of that ladder so that we can be lifted up to the very top, near to God, as if we had never, ever sinned. We're not good enough to do that. Jesus is, and he's done it for us. So, answer to the first question, who are we? Confession reminds us that we are sinners. And left to ourselves, we are stuck there. We are in need of mercy and grace. We are in need of what we cannot provide for ourselves. Which brings us to the second thing. The second thing is, confession reminds us of who God is. He forgives all of your sins, even though you do not deserve to have your sins forgiven. Deserving, or earning, or meriting, or winning it for yourself is all beyond you. Therefore, this is your only hope. God is gracious and loving, and He has made the way for you to be forgiven. You know what the way is. The way is Jesus, the only one who could accomplish your forgiveness. And he did it because God wants you to be in his family. God wants you in his life and someday in his home. And right now, God wants to be in your lives and in your homes. So who is God? God is the source of our forgiveness and our life. So confess your sins honestly and boldly, trusting Him. And third, confession of your sins allows you to be aware, to see the effects of your sins. I don't care what anybody else tells you, sin is harmful. Sin does damage. No sin is ever committed that is disconnected from everyone else in the rest of the world. Each and every sin, big and small, if you think of those in those terms, every sin hurts yourself, it hurts other people, it hurts this world. Maybe you don't see the damage, but it's real. Maybe we can come up with excuses for it. But God doesn't take excuses. Confession can lead to making peace with each other in this world. Forgiveness heals. As we pray this petition, it's important to not just stop with the first half. There's more beyond that comma. The second part is equally important. As we forgive those who trespass against us. And that's the part that there's something inside of us that wants to leave that out. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells a parable about a man who owed the king 10,000 talents. I don't know how much that is. I had to look it up. According to what I read, for a regular working man, that's about... 200,000 years of salary. That's a lot. 
And this man begged the king to not take action against him. And the king had mercy. And he forgave him this entire enormous debt. And when the same man left the king forgiven, he saw someone who owed him just a hundred denarii. I looked that one up. This is the average salary for a working man for about a hundred days of work. Just a tiny amount compared to the enormous debt that he had just been forgiven. And this forgiven man attacked and threatened the one who owed him money and disregarded any pleas for mercy. When the king heard about this, he withdrew his mercy for that man. The man who had been forgiven a debt equaling 200,000 years of work refused to forgive a debt worth only 100 days of work. Here is the reality. You and I and everyone else on earth and everyone else throughout time have been forgiven an enormous amount. I'm not going to put a specific number on it because I have no clue. I have no idea how many sins I've committed. I'll say a lot. I can tell you this. You and I have been forgiven everything. 100% complete. Nothing left forgiven Nothing left unchecked. And the result of that undeserved, enormous forgiveness should be immense gratitude for God's abundant grace and love and forgiveness. That honest gratitude, that heartfelt gratitude for what you have received means that we give that forgiveness as well. Forgiven people forgive. To be given grace leads to giving grace. We're going to have to say one thing before we take this wrongly. Forgiveness does not mean that you put yourself in a dangerous situation. I've heard what some people say, and it's just not right. From a safe place, you don't hold the grudge or feed the grudge. From that safe place, you still do not want bad things that happen to somebody who sinned against you. What you want is God's grace for them, which can also be theirs by faith in Christ. It's so easy to think that holding a grudge against someone is somehow going to hurt that other person. The reality is that a grudge does more harm to the person who's holding that grudge. So you and I are invited to leave that at the cross. Unforgiveness is a heavy burden, and it's a needless one. Unforgiveness is a person going against the will of God, because God's will is to forgive, and, that, and God's will is that that person you would hold a grudge against would repent and come to a knowledge of the truth and be welcomed into God's family. On the other hand, forgiveness is a testimony to the gospel. That the gospel is more than just empty talk. Maybe you remember a situation, I'm sorry, I've lost my sense of time. 
15 years ago, maybe 20, something like that, there was one of those horrible shootings in southeastern Pennsylvania, in Lancaster County, at an Amish school. And what was amazed the journalists, what amazed Americans, was that these just common Amish people, mostly farmers, did not hold any hard feelings against the shooter, the murderer. They forgave him. America, by and large, did not understand that. As a Christian, I do, even though it's hard. I also remember reading about Corey Tenboom. She encountered a man who had been a guard in the concentration camp at which her sister had been killed. And after a time, it wasn't immediate, but after a time she realized that she forgave him. She didn't do it to impress God. She did not do it to impress evildoers. She did it because God forgives completely, 100%. So how can we expect God to forgive us when we don't forgive other people? A few years back, I understand, I have not heard this, but I understand that there was a Garth Brooks song that included these words. We buried the hatchet, but left the handle sticking out. Okay, that's not what we want God to do with us. Partial forgiveness from him means that we're still without hope. One time, a man named Alexander Solzhenitsyn made a comment. If you remember, Alexander Solzhenitsyn was a, so, lived in the Soviet Union. He wrote a book about the Gulag Archipelago, that series of concentration camps that the communists had established for anyone who went against what they wanted, anyone who dissented, anyone they felt like putting in jail, the government did. So he was the one who wrote about that. A lot of other things, too. But Alexander Solzhenitsyn once made the comments that God created us differently than he created the animals. But what makes us different is not our mental capacity, but instead it is our capacity to repent and to forgive. Only human beings can perform something that comes so unnaturally to us. But we forgive because God forgives us. Want to or not, feel like it or not, there's no right given to us to get even. There's no right that we have to answer evil with more evil. We lay that burden down at the foot of the cross. Even though it is against our human nature, we live in forgiveness. As God treats us, so we treat other people. So we pray, because we need help with this. We pray, forgive us our trespasses, and that prayer is answered in Jesus. And we continue, as we forgive those who have trespassed against us, that is the way of heaven, thankfully. So in the meantime, before we get there, it is the way we're called on to live here on earth.
by God's grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, if I got what I deserved right here and now, I would be a pile of ashes. But instead of that, you sent Jesus to this world and into my life and into so many more lives. Father, Jesus was willing to go to the cross to bring salvation for people who don't deserve it. Thank you, Father, for bringing Jesus Christ to earth and into our lives because that changes everything. Help us to live a life as you would will it. And I know that's an impossible prayer, an impossible thing for us to achieve, but thank you for your help. Thank you for working in our lives to build in us the ways of heaven so we can live it and we can speak it, we can think it. Because, Father, your ways are perfect. And, Father, we look forward as we're here doing what you call us to do, living as we, you call us to live. We thank you, Father, that there is a home where your will is fulfilled perfectly. And thank you for letting us be part of that. Let your gospel be known. Hear us when we pray each petition of the Lord's Prayer and let nothing hinder those prayers. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.